Well, this week we are in our second week in a two-week series on prayer and fasting. Next week, we will start a series in the book of Ephesians. Now, if you want to read and prepare for this, actually, you can read in Ephesians this week. Uh, but uh, next week, I will be in the book of Acts. Uh, because Acts is where we see the church was planted and established. And where Paul and Apollos were in Ephesus. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20 next week. And the portions that deal with Paul and Apollos being in Ephesus. And see how the church was established. And uh, help us get a better understanding of the culture and what was really going on there in Ephesus. As the church was planted. And then the following week, we will kind of kick off and get into our actual study in the book of Ephesians. But this topic on prayer and fasting, prayer, we talked about last week, this week will be primarily fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, and we know prayer is a spiritual discipline, being in God's word is a spiritual discipline, at times of worship and ascribing work to him is spiritual discipline. But I believe in the church today, especially in America, I wouldn't necessarily say this in other cultures, but in America, I believe that fasting is one of the most misunderstood or least practiced spiritual disciplines. There's not many books written about it anymore. Um, now, there was a time in, in the church where fasting was maybe overemphasized hundreds of years ago, like where it was maybe overemphasized and where uh, like kind of like asceticism was practice and this like mortifying your flesh and like suffering um, and thinking in some sense that that would create atonement. And fasting is never to earn anything or to, um, to earn salvation or to keep salvation. Fasting is simply a spiritual discipline that allows us, we're going to see the multiple different <clears throat> facets of it this morning, but that allows us, I believe, to connect with the Lord in a greater way. We should look at this. This is something that the New Testament talks briefly about. It's something that we see in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament talked about a lot, where we see the practices of fasting. But we see these things, the disciplines of, like in the New Testament, we see the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of like praying, being in God's word, worship, giving, and fasting. Like those are spiritual disciplines that we clearly see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God's people, his saints of the Old and New Testament practice. I don't believe that fasting, however, is commanded. I don't see anywhere where there's an imperative connected to it. As we would see with giving or prayer. But I believe it is implied that God's people would fast. I believe it's implied in Christ's teaching. I believe it's implied in the book of Acts. Jesus were to follow his example, right? Were to follow Christ's example. Romans 8, 29, for we have been predestined, predetermined that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, God's son. So if we want to follow his example and we want to be conformed to his image, I believe fasting is part of that. Because Jesus fasted. In Matthew 4, verse 2, it says that he, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, listen to this, it says he was hungry. Imagine that. 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. I don't believe he ate a thing for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that he was hungry. <laughs> no kidding. Right? I mean, how many of you have ever fasted... Uh, I, I, 
don't show hands, like, but like if you've ever done a fast for more than a day or two, like you start getting hungry. And by day 21 to day 30, it gets really difficult. I've never fasted more than 30 days, but I know of people who have. And like going into that, like breaking over 30 days becomes really, really difficult. But Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then he was hungry. Jesus implied in Matthew 6 that we would fast because he says in the Sermon on the Mount, and when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites. Like you say, when you fast, he's implying, I believe that he expected that we as Christians as the New Testament church would fast because he says, and when you fast, he's implying that we will continue the spiritual discipline. He says, when you fast, don't do it like this, and then we'll see it later, but fast like this. In Matthew, 19, uh, Matthew 9, Jesus was asked by, John, by, by John's disciples, John the Baptist, why do your disciples not fast? And he said that while the bridegroom is with them, that was him, they won't fast. But when he is taken away from them, they will fast. He's implying that from the time that he ascended back into heaven until his return, there was this expectation that Christians would fast. He's implying it. Again, I do not see an imperative anywhere where it's a command. Now, I believe there was times where the leaders of God's people uh, called for a corporate fast. And where the leaders were telling and expecting people. Jesus, I believe, is inferring that we would fast. I think what I want us to do this morning is understand this. What I'm going to give a lot of the foundation for fasting from the Old Testament. I'm going to give you an overview of where we see fasting all the way starting in the book of Judges. All the way up through the book of Acts. Largely what we would learn about fasting is in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, I believe, very clearly implies that we would continue. And we would see in the book of Acts that the New Testament church continued that spiritual discipline. Point number one. Here we go. A biblical perspective of fasting. We need a biblical perspective. We need to understand a, a biblical perspective. We need to understand where we see it happening in God's word. Now, the first, one of the earliest examples, uh, again, let me just reiterate this. The New, again, the New Testament doesn't teach us a lot. It's primarily the Old Testament where we see the practice. But in Judges chapter 20, uh, where we see the first, I believe this is the earliest mention of fasting, Judges chapter 20. It says that the, um, the people of Israel were going against the, the people of Benjamin. And in one battle, in one day, I believe there was 18,000 people killed, 18,000 men killed. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of people. In one day. And it says that in uh, Judges chapter 20, verse 26, Then the people of Israel wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. They, they wept. They fasted before the Lord. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 16, we see that David fasted, and he wept, and, he, and he, he fasted. Why did he fast there? Because it says, this is interesting, it says, because the wife of Uriah, who was that? That was Bathsheba. It said, because the wife of Uriah, her son, whom she bore, like, this son we believe was conceived at the time of adultery that he had committed with Bathsheba. The son, it says, the Lord afflicted him. 
this may mess with your perception of God. But Scripture very clearly says that the Lord afflicted this child of David's. And David fasted, and he didn't eat for seven days. He fasted and, and sat in sackcloth and ashes, and he, and, and he wouldn't eat for seven days. And it says that on the seventh day, the child died. And his servants were afraid to tell David that he died because they were like, if he's acting this way while he was sick, what's he going to do now that he died? And when David found out that his son had died, it says it's very, he got up. And he washed himself and he changed his clothes and he anointed himself and he went to, and he worshiped and he ate. And they're like, why did you fast when he was sick? But after he died, you just got up. He said, I, I, like he's implying that he, he beseeched the Lord to save him. But when God decided not to, and this is one of those things that we just, I don't understand. The ways of God. I don't understand the ways of God. Now, again, not every time a child or a person dies before it appears their time, is it God afflicting or do we understand? Like, I'm not implying that at all. I'm just telling you what that passage says. But David got up and he worshiped and he, and he went on. He said, like, I, I, I fasted. I sought the Lord. Basically, I didn't get what I was asking for. What I thought I wanted, what he did want, and he got up and he moved on with his life. In Psalm 69, David said, and when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting. Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, we see that the, there was a, a great battle about, I love this, it's, it's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. And after this, it says in, in 2 Chronicles 20, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them, and, and this word is Mennonites. I always think it's Mennonites. But we know it's not Mennonites because they were coming to fight, and Mennonites don't fight. Unless they're playing softball or hockey. <laughs> they say they're pacifists, and I've watched them. I was one. And then Jehoshaphat, verse 3, was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judea. So he's, he proclaimed a fast. All the, this is a corporate fast. He's telling everybody, we're all going to fast. Everyone. And they sought the face of the Lord. In Ezra, Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, says, Ezra said, then I proclaimed a fast there. Why did he proclaim a fast? Because they were needing safe passage where they didn't think they had it. So they sought the Lord. So Ezra leading the people of God, he says, I proclaimed a fast there. And then verse 23 in Ezra 8:23. So we fasted, and listen to this, and implored our God for this. For what? For safe passage. We fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Just a biblical overview of fasting, starting in Judges, and we're just working up through, giving you the historical, like where we see it coming, uh, playing out all the way through. They implored, that means to earnestly seek, to ask. They entreated, that means to beg. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, 
Nehemiah, after he found out what had happened to the city of Jerusalem and the walls being torn down, it says this, that I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Esther and Mordecai, remember the story of Esther? She fasted. Mordecai, the people fasted. The Hebrew people fasted because she was going to have to go before the king. Esther was. She was, she was a queen, but she had to go before the king and ask for his favor because there, there was a... Uh, Haman, this wicked man, was going to exterminate all the Hebrew people. So the people of God, the Hebrew people, fasted and prayed and sought the Lord. Daniel fasted. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, he says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel fasted. We go on to chapter 10. Daniel said in Daniel 10, verse 3, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full of three weeks. This was a 21-day fast that Daniel fasted. Look what he says. Now, it wasn't a, a complete fast. He said, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth. No delicacies, like no desserts, nothing desirable, some passages say, some translations say. Nothing desirable, and I love this, and no meat. He became a vegetarian. That's a miserable fast. That's just miserable. That is a miserable fast. Can I get an amen? I'd rather not eat than eat. Just eat. Who thinks, oh, I just can't wait to go home and eat a bowl of broccoli? If you do, that's just weird. I'm just like, that is weird. Like, it's just like, oh, no, it's, like, that, is, that is different. And you're like, but, and if you're going to like, but it's going to brown butter and, and ranch dressing, oh, see, now, brown butter, I'm not a ranch dressing guy, like not, not big, but brown butter, anybody else? Or is that just us Mennonites? <laughs> Fasting. The disciples fasted. John's disciples fasted. John the Baptist, Mark chapter 2, verse 18, now John's disciples were fasting. Again, it's a biblical overview. It's a perspective. It's Jesus fasted in Matthew 4, verse 2, according to this already, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus fasted. Anna the prophetess fasted. Luke chapter 2, verse 37, says she was worshiping. Listen, I love this. She was worshiping with fasting. We're going to see in a moment that fasting is an act of worship. She was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, verse 2. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. A biblical perspective of fasting. We need to see it. It's always been part of a godly people's lifestyle. It's always been part of God's, the saints of God. It's always been part of their lifestyle. That they would practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. But now it's important for us to go to Jesus' teaching in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 16. And Jesus says, and when you fast, again, implying the expectation is that we would fast. He says, and when you fast, now he says this, do not look like or look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now, who are hypocrites? Religious people 
who fasted. They fasted a lot. He says, don't do it like them. Don't look like them. They do it. Why? To be seen by others. That's why they fast. That's what he says. They, they, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So what, they, what he's saying is they walk around letting everyone know they're miserable, that they're hungry, that they're, they're in distress. That they, they, they do all those. They do it with the intent for the praises of people. So don't do it for that reason. Now, I think in this scripture, sometimes people misunderstand. They think, well, if I fast, I can't let anyone know I'm fasting because that's not biblical. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying don't do it like the hypocrites do. Don't do it for the sake of public and, and human recognition. He goes on and he says, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may be, not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I think if you're doing a fast by yourself, where you yourself have decided to, to walk out a, a fast for a, a, a period of time, um, it, it's good to keep it as private as you can. But sometimes you need to tell your coworkers. Um, sometimes you need to tell people like what is going on in your life. Like, why are you yawning all the time? Like, why? Like, you, like, see what I'm saying? Like, it's it's not wrong, but if you do it for the wrong reasons, that's what he's saying. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter nine, when Jesus was asked in verse fourteen, the disciples of John came saying, "Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not?" And Jesus said to them, "It's important." Jesus said to them. Can the wedding guests, that's his disciples, mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So in other words, he's saying, should my disciples fast as long as I'm with them? He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Again, this biblical perspective, it's a biblical overview of fasting. It's that, 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 that you need to understand, like Jesus is implying here, that from the, time, from the time that he ascends to heaven until he returns, it's, it's implied that his disciples will fast. This will be a spiritual discipline within their lives. So we need a biblical overview of fasting. Number two, we must now see the biblical purposes of fasting. You must understand the purposes of fasting. It's not for nothing. There's a purpose in fasting. Now, one of the guys that I, um, I, I, I've listened to uh, for quite a few years, for a lot of years, um, now, he's a guy that we wouldn't necessarily agree with on all the theological points. But the man's name is Jensen Franklin, and he's, he's influenced me a lot um, when it comes to fasting. Um, and one of the things that he says about prayer and fasting is this. Prayer, it's very simple. Listen to this. Prayer connects us to God. That's what prayer does. Prayer connects us to God. It's communication with God. Here's what fasting does. Fasting disconnects us from the world. See that? Prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Now, another person who's had probably the greatest impact on me on this discipline is a guy by the name of Dave Mathis. He writes for um, Desiring God. Uh, he works with John Piper, and he's had a tremendous... So like, if, if you have ever read him on fasting, you're going to hear that coming out of me today because he's influenced me more than anybody on this spiritual discipline. But this is important. Fasting is never about dieting. It's not about that. Now, it's not wrong to diet. It's not wrong to do intermittent fasting for the purpose of losing weight or for health benefits. But a spiritual Christian fast, if you're like, well, I'm going to fast. I'm going to get really strict next week for my fast because I'd like to drop seven or eight pounds. That, that's not what this is about. Does that make sense? Now, now, if you do a really 
a, a, a strict fast where you lose weight? Yeah, that's just kind of the byproduct of it. But if your purpose is, you're like, well, I'm going to be really aggressive because I want, like, that's not necessarily a spiritual reason. Does that make sense? Now, even secular science and, and, and medicine would tell us that there are some really great health benefits to fasting, even extended fast. Not for everybody, but for the majority of people. But we must understand the purposes. It's not about a diet. Biblical purposes of fasting, humility, 1A, humility. One of the purposes is that we would humble ourselves. David had said in um, Psalm 69, verse 10, I humbled myself with fasting and prayer. It's an act of humbling ourselves. Psalm 35, 13, David said, I afflicted, which means to humble myself with fasting. 1 Kings 21, 27, and 28. This is speaking of Ahab. If you know who Ahab was, he was a wicked king. Wicked king Elijah the prophet had pronounced judgment upon Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king. He had a wicked wife, Jezebel. Elijah had a word from the Lord pronounced judgment upon Ahab. Ahab humbled himself. Listen to this. Ahab humbled himself with fasting. And the Lord said to Elijah, have you seen how Ahab humbled himself before me? Fasting is a means of humbling ourselves before God. Scripture says that we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in his time. Fasting, a physical fast, is one of the ways that we choose to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in his time. Paul said that we should what? Clothe ourselves in humility. What is that? That's an act of putting something on. It's an action. Do things that are humble. Fasting humbles us before a holy God. Fasting is a way that we humble ourselves. Um, if I can just speak personally for a moment, when I do extended fast, it's humbling. Why? Because I get weak. I get tired. I don't like how I look. I don't like how I feel. It helps us to see our desperate dependence upon God. We humble ourselves. One of the purposes of biblical fasting is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in his time. Another pr purpose be repentance. In the Old Testament, we often see saints as individuals, David. We also see the children of God, the Hebrew people, sometimes corporately fasting as an act of repentance. Remember the story of Nineveh. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach about the impending judgment. Jonah didn't want to go. Why didn't he want to go? He didn't like Nineveh. And one of the reasons he didn't want to go is because he was afraid the people of Nineveh would, Nineveh would repent. And then he said and God, he knows that God is merciful and long-suffering, and he didn't want to go preach to them their impending doom because he was afraid they would repent and God would relent. So you know the story. He jumps on a boat. They have to show, throw him over the, show, over the boat because it, there's a storm because he's fleeing from God. A, a fish comes and swallows Jonah up, and he's in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's a picture of what Christ would do for us. And then God takes him, and he spits him up on the seashore next to Nineveh. Jonah goes and preaches repentance, or repeat, preaches the impending judgment. The people fast and pray. God relents and redeems. And then Jonah got what? Irritated. 
He's just like us, isn't he? Jonah 3, verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, the people of Israel became aware of their sins, and they gathered under Samuel's leadership and fasted as a demonstration of the repentance. 1 Samuel 7, 6, so they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. Fasting is an act of repentance. Here's what happens when you fast. If you do an extended fast, it doesn't take long till your sin begins to rear its ugly head. If you struggle with anger and impatience and you're hangry and you can't eat a Snickers, it reveals your impatience, your sin. See, see what happens? It reveals the idolatry in your life. It reveals your functional saviors. It reveals the things we worship. And I, I, can I just submit to you, like some of God's greatest gifts that he has given us all things richly to enjoy. Food. Who doesn't like to eat? And the thought of not eating for a day or two days or three days or seven days or 21 days or 30, it, it just immediately, there's this panic that sets in, right? But God uses it to humble us and to lead us into repentance. The people of Israel, Joel called for a fast in Joel chapter 2 verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel said this, And I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer, pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Purposes of fasting, to repent. It reveals what we worship. It reveals our functional saviors. It reveals what controls us. Fasting disconnects us from the world. The third purpose, 2C, is to entreat. To entreat, to implore God. Ezra chapter 8, verse 23. And so we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. Again, what were they fasting and imploring for? They were looking for safe passage. They were traveling through dangerous territory and they wanted safe passage. So they as a, a corporate body, as a group of people, fasted and implored the Lord. And he listened and he heard our entreaty. What does it mean to implore? To earnestly, desperately beg for something. Sometimes we fast earnestly, desperately plead with God for something. What does it mean to entreat? The same thing, to ask earnestly for something, to plead, to persuade, to ask. What are the things that we would implore him for, that we would entreat him for? Sometimes for physical healing. Sometimes for the salvation of a lost loved one. Sometimes for spiritual breakthrough. Sometimes for your gifts to be strengthened and increased. There's a point in my life I knew that the Lord had called me to preach, to lead a church. And if you're going to do that, you have to be able to communicate. And you have to be able to retain things. 
But when we started, like, I struggled so much preaching and communicating. I have ADHD really bad. I, 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 I couldn't retain anything. If you're like me, like, like, a, like I was, I would read stuff and not remember a thing I read. Anybody else? I couldn't communicate. I couldn't keep my, like, I couldn't keep a train of thought in the pulpit. And I was practicing, this was a season of my life where I was practicing the spiritual discipline of fasting a lot. And I must admit that I believe that I've neglected that in the past year, past uh, recent years. But I did a 30-day fast, asking the Lord, God, if you've called me to do this, you have to give me the ability and the gift to retain, the ability to speak, and I humbled myself before the Lord, and I entreated God, if you've called me to do this, you have to do something in my life. And I believe he did. Now, I don't believe fasting for 30 days or 21 days is just magic silver bullet where you do this and you get that. I don't believe that for a second. But what I see scripturally and biblically is there was a time that we need to entreat and implore the Lord for some things and then trust him with the outcome. It wasn't something that God just naturally, just instantaneously downloaded in my life. It was still a process and a battle and a discipline and it still is. It still is. I, sometimes I can't concentrate in writing a sermon and preparing a sermon until the 11th hour. Uh, Trevor Peacock, who, is, who, who taught at the men's conference this weekend, he said, Steve, sometimes I can't preach. I can't prepare to preach, so I feel like I have a gun to my head. And honestly, I feel like I do my best sermon writing about 3 o'clock Sunday morning when I'm out of time. Like I got nothing, and it's like, it's now, or, it's, it's now or nothing. But that wouldn't even be possible if God hadn't given me the gift of retention. Does that make sense? It's my story. I'm not saying it works that way every time. Biblical purpose of fasting to entreat. The fourth, D, biblical purpose of fasting to worship. To worship. I read scriptures already where it says they worshipped him in prayer and fasting. They were worshipping Hannah, Luke chapter 2, verse 37. She's in the temple worshipping and fasting. She's worshipping through fasting and prayer night and day, continually. Her life was one of that. See, worship or fasting is a way that we disconnect the world to connect with God. Fasting helps us remember our weaknesses, our dependence upon God. Fasting, I believe, gives us a greater dependence on God. Acts 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Fasting is an act of worship. It's an act of emptying ourselves. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual act of worship. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your body up as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship, and it's holy and pleasing to God. I believe one of the ways that we fulfill that is through seasons where we walk in the discipline of fasting. We offer ourselves up purposes of fasting. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There's other things. 
other purposes of fasting, but I believe these are the four primary things. To humble ourselves. To walk in repentance. To entreat the Lord. To worship the Lord. Three. Point three, we must now look at the purposes of fasting. I'm sorry, the types of fasting. Now, I believe, I believe this very strongly. Every example of biblical fasting had to do with food. Every example of biblical fasting had to do with refraining from food for some type of food. We saw what they, we'll, see it, we'll look at these in a moment. Daniel was from anything good, so he ate vegetables, which isn't good. Like Daniel's implying that. I, I, I refrained from anything that was, that was delicious. <laughs> Even Daniel knew. All the, but I, I, now, we'll talk about I believe it's appropriate to fast other things. But biblically speaking, I believe every example of fasting, I believe that fasting, our physical body should feel. Feel it. Whatever that is. Now, I know, listen, some of you physically cannot do, like, total fast. Like, you have health things. Some of you should consult a doctor, like we're going to talk about it in a minute. It's not like if you've never fasted, you don't just jump into a seven-day fast. You're, like, it, there's things you, you train. It's a discipline, okay? Just like a physical discipline. Like, when you, if you set out to do a couple hundred push-ups, and you want to get to a place where you can do a couple hundred push-ups in a day, you don't start out the first day doing a couple hundred push-ups, do you? You work up to it. You work up to it. The same thing is with fasting. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline that is a physical discipline. You must work your body towards. But I do believe that a biblical fast should be felt physically. And it depends upon your health. It depends upon your job. You know, a guy who works construction and he has to continue working, he can't fast the same way a person who doesn't work construction. Does that make sense? This is not possible. And so every person, but there's three, fat, three types I think we see biblically. Uh, there's a partial fast. One of the things that we see um, in the Bible is where they would, there was times they would fast from, they would fast from sunup to sundown. From, they, they would stop eating once the sun came up, and they didn't eat again until the sun went down. It's a partial fast. Uh, they would do that. And like, so in June, that's a more difficult thing in our area. In December, that's not so bad, right? Like it's, it's a shorter window. But, but, but for them, like there was times where they would do partial fast. I believe partial fast can also include things like this, where you do like intermittent fasting, where maybe for a period of time, you don't eat dinner. You eat from 6 in the morning to 12 noon, and then you're done till the next morning. Does that make sense? It's a partial fast. Uh, so I believe it's appropriate, a partial fast, that you maybe abstain um, from certain food groups. And we'll talk about that in a moment when we talk about the Daniel type of fast. But there's a partial fast. Food groups, uh, maybe you skip a meal, uh, maybe you just different things like that. There's also the Daniel fast. We'll just call it the Daniel fast where um, you know, he became a vegetarian for a period of time. Um, I don't believe he was all the time. But Daniel fasted, so that means he ate no delicacies. So it says no meat, no delicacies, no wine. So I believe for this, this Daniel fast, maybe for some of you, you consume so much sugar, whether it's drinks, uh, you know, energy drinks, Celsius is, okay, that's my weakness. But those types of things, for this fast, you put it down. Desserts, um, maybe you do um, put down meat for a season, <laughs> just a season. Some of you are like, no, I'm not doing that. Just hear me out. 
It's a Daniel fast. Like, and, and so I, I believe that's an appropriate biblical fast. And for some of you, that's the better option than a complete fast. The third biblical fast I believe we see in the Bible is a full fast. We only drink fluids, primarily water, for a season of time. This type of fast, for some people, they shouldn't embark on without consulting a doctor, without really understanding what is going on. And I believe no one, should, their first time ever doing this, should embark in a three or seven day extent. Like I, just, like, I think you'll end up discouraging yourself because your body has to get used to it. Does that make sense? But a full fast, we see it. We see what it was. It was and and I, I believe these are the types of fasts that we see biblically. Now, I believe it's appropriate to fast things like social media, screen time, movies. Here's a good one. I've literally, like, I believe some people should fast words. There's some people for maybe it's a partial part of the day, you're not going to say anything. Maybe for a day or two, you're, just, you're not going to say anything. Like, I, I know, you know, give me a biblical example. Well, Zechariah, um, God took his speech from him till John the Baptist was born. And so, like, don't make God do that if you talk too much. Now, I'm not saying it was because Zechariah talked too much. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Like, just go to the Lord. But here's what I'm pressing upon you as our church. People attend here. In this next week, on the 25th when we start this, the evening of the 24th to noon of the 30th, six days of prayer and fasting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press upon you, whatever you choose to fast, whether social media, screen time, make, I, I'm going to implore you and encourage you to do something that your body feels. Does that make sense? You will not die. I think you need to decide, decide what over this next week. I'm going to encourage you to pray and discern and ask the Lord. Don't make an emotional decision. Pray and ask the Lord. Decide what it's going to be. Follow through it. But I think sometimes people ask, well, if God is sovereign, why should we fast and pray? Do you believe God? I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. I think, I believe all things work according to the purpose of his will. Nothing can stay his hand. I believe that. I believe he's sovereign in salvation. But there's tension here. Remember how we talked about this last week? There's tension. Take you to passage in Exodus 17. Don't turn there. You can read it this week, Exodus 17. Moses, he told Joshua to take the people, the Hebrew people, out to battle. They were going to war. Moses went up on a hill with Aaron and Ur to watch. And the story, the, the historical narrative is that as long as Moses would have his hands in the air, Joshua would prevail. But as soon as Moses would bring his hands down, Joshua would begin to lose. Moses put his hands back up, Joshua would begin to prevail. I don't understand this, the full sovereignty of God, but there was something that God wanted to do that was directly connected to Moses' physical obedience. But Moses' hands got tired. 
So they propped a rock up underneath him, and Aaron and Ur held his hands up till Joshua prevailed. What does that have to do with this? I want us to see that sometimes there's a tension between the sovereignty of God and what man does. Have you ever heard people say, you will not die a day before the Lord desires? Is that true? That's true. But in Acts, Paul's in a ship, and he's on his way to Rome where he would eventually face death. And they're in a storm. They hadn't seen the light of day for several days, it says. Like, I mean, it was a major storm. They had thrown their cargo over, over, you know, overboard. And they were being swept in towards an island. And what would happen, because they were large wooden ships, and in a storm, if they would hit the rocks, the ships would be destroyed. And the people on the ship would often be lost. And people were panicking, but... Paul says, listen, God told me everyone will be saved. But then some of the sailors and people got scared and they began to lower little boats like lifeboats. Paul's like, if you get off the boat, you will not be saved. Paul just said, no one's going to die. That's what he implied. But he said, but if you get off the boat, you're going to die. You see the tension. Now I want to go back to the book of Daniel as we close. Daniel chapter 9. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed and I confessed. And he goes on, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with steadfast love to those who keep to those who love him and keep his commandments. And he says, we have sinned and done wrong and act wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. And he goes on this long repentance before the Lord. In verse 20, and he says, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord God for the whole, on the hill, holy hill of God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding for you are greatly loved. Now, you know who Gabriel was? There was three primary angels that I believe that God created. Gabriel, who's a communicator. He speaks for God. Michael, who's a warring angel. And Lucifer, who we all know, God threw from heaven. But Gabriel comes to Daniel as he's in the middle of this fast. And he says, oh, you greatly loved. And then we go on to Daniel chapter 10. We go on. And those days, Daniel was mourning for three weeks. He ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth, nor did he anoint himself for the full of three weeks. It's a 21-day fast. And then we could go on here. If we would read down through verse 5 um, through 9, it talks about uh, he begins to see a vision. And then in verse 10, it says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you 
And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Now again, this was Gabriel. And he said to me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day, listen to this, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, from the first day of his fast, 21 days ago, or 24, 20-some days ago, from the first day, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. But listen to this, verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now the prince of the Persian, uh, uh, the prince of Persia, this is not a person. This is a war going on in the heavenlies. What, what Gabriel is saying to him, is from the moment you started this fast, your words were heard, and I sought to come to you, but I experienced demonic opposition. There's a war in the heavenlies. That's what he's saying. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of this dark world. But I love this. It withstood me 21 days. Gabriel fought with the prince of Persia. But Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. Who is Michael? He's a warring angel. Gabriel's warring with the prince of Persia. We stood him for 21 days. So God's like, okay, Michael, go down there. I'm just reading what's in the Bible. Look what Gabriel says to him. He says, I've come to you because of your words. He said in verse 11, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Here's what I want us to take away from that. God loves all of his children the same. You can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't do anything to make him love you less. But you can do things, I believe this, that can put you in and out of the favor of God. The favor of God. And I think what we're just seeing here in Daniel, and I know this is an Old Testament historical narrative, but I believe this, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what God did there, he's still doing today. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there is no wind of change in him. When we walk in spiritual disciplines, in humility, in repentance, to entreat and to worship, I believe God pours his blessings out upon us. I don't know always what that looks like. But what I see here with Daniel is because he disciplined himself. God came to him and said, oh, Daniel, greatly loved. Simply because he became a vegetarian. I'm not saying God's calling us to be that. Do you understand? My desire for us as a church is that this becomes a consistent, regular pattern in our lives. That we walk in the spiritual disciplines that we see. Reading God's word. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in worship. Giving. Fasting. Spiritual disciplines. Because I believe God moves powerfully when his people pray. I believe God is sovereign and none can stay his hand. But clearly we see many examples of when God's people entreated the Lord and he responded. 
And I believe if we practice these spiritual disciplines, we will see God move in our own lives and the life of our church and community in ways that we've maybe never experienced before. And so as a church, this is going to be a regular corporate practice for us. Just starting next Sunday evening, evening of the 24th, we're starting six days of prayer. The prayer starts Monday, the 25th, and goes through Saturday, the 30th at noon. And I'm asking you, as members, as congregants, as regular tenders, to participate in some way. Next week, we'll be handing out prayer cards, things that we want you to be praying for every day, Monday, Tuesday, that we're all corporately praying in unison and unity for one thing. And I'm just asking your, you to challenge yourself as we see many other leaders in the Old Testament, and even I believe in the book of Acts, we see this, where they called whole groups together to fast and pray and see what God will do in your life and see what God will do in our midst. Father, we thank you for your word, for your grace. I thank you that you've given us things like your word, prayer, worship, fasting, as disciplines to draw us near to you. God, I pray that through these two weeks of thinking on and praying on prayer and fasting, that we would connect greater at a greater level with you and we would disconnect from the world. And may you be glorified in our lives. May we be humbled before you. And may your joy and your peace that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.